0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night. It is June 21st. The year of our Lord, 2020. Sometimes it's hard to put a show together. Who am I kidding? We've had a lot to talk about lately, but tonight, really easy to put the show together. And I'm gonna tell you why it was so easy, because you guys have submitted such great and well-thought-out questions that I was looking, and we were trying to do the Late Kick Extra podcast that I recorded Wednesday. And I said, as I was recording it and and as I was talking through it, like some of this stuff, I just need to push ahead to the show. Didn't do it on the Thursday show. I said, I'm gonna save this and wrap it around for the Sunday show, because to be honest, There were a couple of these questions that I answer them off the cuff on the podcast, but I thought afterwards, I kind of want to go more in depth on those. I may have gone one to two minutes, maybe want to go five minutes on some. So we're going to hit four of them in tonight's show that I think they're very broad based. They're very expansive in their reach. I mean, this is going to impact you pretty much regardless of who you're a fan of, which conference you like watching most. So I've got a lot to get to tonight, and we're really happy to have you with us. Remember, subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel if you haven't already, and find us. Find that podcast, by the way. If you haven't already, a lot of you have, The Late Kick with Josh Pate. There used to be two of them out there. We had to... Sometimes we get slapped on the wrist. We had to slap Apple on the wrist, and they finally got rid of The Imposter Show, and now there's just our show. So give us a five-star review. Write a review there. Include a question in that review. That's probably the most opportune way that you can get your question answered, but boy, we've got some to get to tonight. So I wanted to start it with this. Not everyone who watches this show is a Miami Hurricanes fan. In fact, if you don't love Miami and you're of any age, like if you're 30 years or older, chances are you probably hate them. It's either a love or a hate because Miami used to run college football, or at the very least, they were one of the apex predators, apex programs, shall we say, in college football. These days, not so much. But I get an email the other day from a guy who we will refer to as Elijah. Pretty notable guy. He had to go by an alias. So the alias is Elijah. And he's taking me back. And he's walking through what Miami used to be, and his entire premise is, as much as he loved the swagger, as much as he loved those 30 for 30 documentaries, let's say on ESPN, and as much as he loved all the tradition that was Miami football in the 80s, 90s, and even some portions of the early 2000s, he said, and I'm paraphrasing because it was pretty lengthy, but it was well thought out, he said, I think a lot of our tradition and our history poisons the well for the potential of the here and now and the future of Miami. He laid part of the blame at the feet of some fans, not all fans. He laid the blame at the feet of some former players, not all former players. Now, I know this to be true. Everything he said in that email, I have vocalized uh, to some degree over the past several years with Miami. I got several friends who are Miami fans. And the reason I know this is so contentious is because they don't agree on it. I'll talk to one of them and they'll say, you know, there's a way you have to win at Miami. And there's a way that we do things. And when we're good, there's a way that Miami looks that's totally unique under the rest of the sport. And then others will say, and I'll probably agree with them more than the previous group. Others will say, No, there's a way that you win in college football, and there's a way you can dress it up, but there's a way at its very core that you go about winning and being a successful program. We haven't been that. We're all worried about the sizzle, and we haven't been what we need to be at the core. So let me first, as we often do on this show, it's been effective. It's greatly cut down on the um, ill-timed comments in the comment section. Let me first say what I'm not saying with Miami. I am not saying you don't draw from your roots. I'm not saying you don't capitalize on the culture down there. I'm not saying that you don't capitalize on your history. All that is part of the fabric of a program. They've got a fabric at Nebraska that's totally different than the fabric at Notre Dame, that's totally different than the fabric at Alabama, that's totally different, obviously, than the fabric at Miami. That's uniqueness. Everything's not supposed to look robotic. These aren't Lego houses. These are programs. And it's real history, real tradition, real championships you've won. You don't divorce yourself from that. So that's not what I'm saying, regardless of whether it sounds like it, when I'm about to tell you and take you the road down the one that I want to go down, which is kind of where Elijah took us in the email. Speaking of stakes, since I kind of went down that road, here is Miami football right now to me the group that just wants to bring it back the way it was done. And when they talk about the way it was done, they talk about all the flash. Here's what it's like to me. Imagine being at a steakhouse, really great steakhouse. And imagine saying, what are we eating tonight? You ask the chef, what are we eating tonight? What kind of steak we having tonight? And he says, I got great news for you, man. I've got this seasoning that I have imported. I can't tell you where it's from, but boy, it is going to pop your taste buds like you have never had them pop before. And you get excited, that sounds great. And then you say, oh, that's wonderful. Like what kind of steak are we having? And then he says, oh, I didn't even tell you about the marinade yet. The marinade, It is a recipe that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation in my family, and it is absolutely to die for. And you, I mean, you can't even contain it. Your mouth's watering, and you say, I cannot wait for this. What kind of steak are we having? And then... He says, Have I shown you this steak dust that I have over here? Even on top of all the seasoning, this steak dust is gonna put the finishing touches on it, and it is going to be like nothing you've ever experienced. And you're you got fork in one hand and you got knife in the other hand, and you're just banging them on the table, and you got your you got your bib, and you're saying, What kind of steak are we gonna put all this on? And then the chef says, Well, I don't really have any steak. I just I thought this would be good enough. That's Miami when you guys are talking about all this stuff from the past, that's Miami. I don't ever hear people when they're talking about what Miami needs to be back. I want you to think about what people say. Not all. Remember what I didn't say. What I am saying is a lot of people, unfortunately, the ones that get the microphone placed in front of their face, you know, like when, when Penn State if they're in contention, we're asking, oh, does Penn State have what it takes to make the college football playoff? Um, if Auburn were in the running this year, it's, is that Auburn offensive line going to hold up? Is that quarterback situation with Chad Morris, at offensive coordinator, is everything coalescing? Are the Tigers a real contender for the SEC championship? We'd say the same thing about USC, but with Miami, you mark my words, as soon as they win a game that they're a five-point underdog in, and they win that thing outright, headlines, Wall to wall the next morning. Is the swagger back at Miami? Is the winning culture back? Is the formula or the ingredients to win back? Is the steak back? Forget about all the seasoning. Forget about the marinade. It's about the steak. Is it back? You need a stacked front seven. You need to load up on talent. You need a lot of speed at defensive back. You gotta get a franchise quarterback in there. You gotta get a really, really good wall-to-wall offensive line there, build out from there, get that skilled talent. You don't have to go get them, just keep them home. These are the things you have to do, along with having an elite head coach and an elite coaching staff to win at Miami. No one ever asks that. My Miami Hurricane fans ask it amongst themselves, but even some of you. When I'm talking to you, I talk to a lot of Miami fans. I got some Miami friends that I grew up with. Half the time, even from them, it's we just gotta get that swagger back. No, no, you can have a lot of swagger and go four and eight. And by the way, I don't know if you've noticed this, that wouldn't exactly make you unique these days. There was a way Miami used to carry themselves that was unique unto the sport. It was just a different time for a million reasons. I mean, do you watch Clemson and Ohio State? Did you watch that semifinal game? Did you watch those athletes? Did you see the way they carried themselves? Do you watch Alabama? Hey, I'm pointing out programs, by the way, who come into South Florida to get all your talent anyway. So those are the players you'd be playing with. How about worrying about getting the players? That's it, players. It's not the seasoning. It's not the marinade. You gotta have the steak. And until Miami has the steak, I don't really care about all that other stuff. So, If that's what they're focused on, I agree wholeheartedly with Elijah in his email. We're worried about the wrong things with Miami. And the longer they're worried about it, the longer it's going to take to come, quote unquote, back. Back is what I would love. I want the same thing you guys do. Believe me, it's not fun watching one program, unless you're a fan of that program. It's not fun watching one program run circles around everyone. And that is the ACC right now. Let's move it on. I told you some good questions, some really good stuff. Now, this is one we get a lot. I've had a million different people ask me a million variations of this question. Forget about the big boys. Forget about Ohio State for a second. Forget about who's favored in any given conference. Give me some dark horse college football playoff contenders because there's this thinking right now, well, there's thinking in any season that something crazy always happens. I never laugh at predictions for this reason. I may think some are outlandish, but I don't ever laugh at predictions. Here's why. There's no football season you could find me in recent history where you look in December, and all the outcomes that you got were pretty much spot on matches to what everyone was predicting in July. Always something crazy happens. That's just the nature of sports and competition, period. But especially when you factor in injuries, just one big injury in the sport of college football, if it's to the right or wrong person, it gets into a ripple effect and shockwaves that the entire sport feels. That, in week one, that could happen and completely turn upside down every prediction that you have. So I don't ever laugh at predictions, but I think it's pretty widely held that Alabama is a legit contender this year. Uh, Georgia is, Florida is, Clemson in the ACC and and TBD elsewhere in that conference, Ohio State, Oregon in the Pac-12, like Oklahoma. These are programs A variation of those everyone's going to have in their playoff prediction field. But we're talking dark horses here. And I want to add one more caveat before we go down a list of just some teams that I want to tell you to keep an eye on and why I'm keeping an eye on them. Outside of everything else that's crazy that happens in any given year, keep in mind, if we have a college football season this fall, however long it is, whenever it starts, however many people are in the stands for it, uh, the worry and concern about infectious disease is not going away. So here's what could happen. You could just not have a season, you could have a version of a season, or you could have a complete season, but even in the best of best cases with complete season, it's not like you're going to just turn off the concern about disease, and what I mean by that is, look past injury. What if a program, what if one of these major programs gets hit and you wake up Tuesday morning, front page 247sports.com, Fill in the blank university, 10 starters, test positive. What do we do with our predictions? So keep all that in mind and and remember that 2020 could be the most volatile season in the history, recent history of this sport, at least since 2007, for a number of reasons that didn't exist in 2007. I'm gonna throw North Carolina at you. I've gone over this on the Late Kick Extra podcast. I went over it on Late Kick Live a couple of weeks, I think it was, Colin, a couple of weeks ago. And here's my thinking here. My thinking here is, this is not the favorite in the ACC. This is a team that's good enough to contend, though. And because of their out-of-conference schedule at Central Florida to open the season, that's a top-20 caliber opponent, and versus Auburn in Atlanta in week two. That's another top-20 caliber opponent. If North Carolina happens to get one or two of their conference opponents to rise just a little bit above expectation to where they're playing at a top-20 level, and you get three or four top 20 caliber wins on your resume, there's a chance that they could even go to the ACC title game and lose close. They lose close to Clemson and the Tigers are like a one seed or a two seed. If all else is topsy-turvy, And it's not just a shoe in, one, two, three, four. This could be one of those programs. Crazy though it may sound, because they're from what is perceived to be the weakest conference in America in Power Five right now. Crazy though it may sound, because of how they've beefed up their out of conference schedule, if some craziness happens elsewhere and they don't lose a regular season game and their only loss is to a bona fide national championship contending playoff team and they've got one loss there, Who knows? Who knows how good their resume may look at the end of the year. Another one that I've thrown at you that I think is the most likely non-conference champion to make the playoff, I've told you this before, is Penn State. Penn State's in a very similar situation. Some people view it as a disadvantage that they have to play in the same division as Ohio State. I don't view it as that. Twofold here. Number one, they've been competitive with Ohio State. Number two, they get them at home this year. Number three, they don't play them in the second to last week or last week of the season. They get them, I think, in week eight. So what I'm saying there is even if they lose to them, it's probably not a blowout. It's competitive. It's at home. And you've got time after that loss to make up ground again. And they've got a good enough strength of schedule. They play teams like Michigan. They, they go, I think, to Michigan. They go, I think, to Nebraska. So they go to Virginia Tech in the out-of-conference. They've got enough juice on their schedule to where they can afford a loss and be sitting there. Now, of course, this team could win the Big Ten. That's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not like they'd be a four touchdown underdog to Ohio State or anything. They will be a home underdog, but it'll be a competitive game if they are sitting there with one loss. And let's say their one loss happens to be to a playoff team in Ohio State. Again, if you have some craziness that happens elsewhere, that's a dark horse team. Notre Dame, is a dark horse team. Now, I had their schedule because I hadn't memorized it off the top of my head. When I came in the studio today, Colin said, is that old man? Is that Ian Book? Is he still the quarterback there? Yeah, he's still quarterback there. Um, I'm looking at their schedule, though, and they got Navy. They had to move that one stateside, but they got Navy in Arkansas, Western Michigan. I mean, there is no conference schedule, obviously, here, but the first time they play a team that will be ranked is Wisconsin, in all likelihood, is Wisconsin, and that is October 3rd. After that, I mean, they got Stanford at home. They go to Pitt. They got Duke. And then they've got the big game against Clemson. After that, their most competitive game is at USC to end the season. They don't have a conference championship game. So again, kind of the same situation that we may see with a team like North Carolina. Let's say Notre Dame's only loss is close to Clemson. Just like Penn State, only loss is close to Ohio State. And this time it's because they don't play in a conference. This team doesn't play for a conference championship or win one, but yet they're sitting there. And if some craziness has happened elsewhere, this is a team, you got that logo there, you got the cachet. haven't been there in a while, could be in that bubble range and crazier things have happened. And the last one, this is probably one that is not quite the caliber of team that you know you would classify as, oh, that's a playoff contender. That's a playoff caliber roster. they're getting closer. Texas A&M is another team I want to throw at you. Texas A&M is not a team that I'm going to, in all likelihood, predict to go to the college football playoff. But I want you to remember something. You wrote this team off last year before the season started because they had an impossible schedule, which was fair. They did have an impossible schedule. They don't have that this year. They don't play Georgia in the crossover. They don't go to Clemson this year. And so they got a very manageable out-of-conference The first time that they will probably be an underdog is midway through the season, they go to Auburn. They haven't beaten Auburn under Jimbo Fisher yet, but if they were to win that game, there is a distinct possibility. This is, I know this is an old talking point already for our Aggie fans, but outside of Texas A&M, if you haven't memorized the schedule already, if they get past that Auburn game, the general consensus is they'll be favored all the way to at Alabama, second to last week of the year. So let me give you the same scenario that I just kicked you with North Carolina or maybe Penn State. If they go to Alabama and they lose competitive, a competitive game and then in their season finale, they beat LSU at home, but Bama's in Atlanta so they can't win the conference championship, that could be a team. Think about this. This is not a really so much of an if to me. If Texas A&M were to have a close loss to a playoff conference champion Alabama and they've beaten Auburn on the road, and they've beaten LSU at home? Yeah, um, I think that the chances may be even more likely than not, even considering what could happen elsewhere, that they'd be in the playoff. Those are just some teams to think about, Jake. That's who asked the question, by the way, Jake, in the uh, email inbox. Just some dark horse playoff contenders to think about there. No predictions tonight, no predictions yet. That's what uh, God made July and August for, but just something to think about. All right. So Stacy had hit me with this, and normally people ask when they're talking about Nick Saban, Alabama, they just want to know when is Saban going to retire. Stacy didn't come at it from that angle. Stacy said, "I'm just going to assume he'll be gone five years from now." She said, "Where is Alabama in five years?" Sometimes you guys ask this question, so I wanted to go maybe a little different track. I'll give you a couple of coaching names, but I've given you those names before, but. There is an adage, uh, it's pretty widely held, that no one wants to follow a legend. That's gonna be the question that's thrown around, like when Nick Saban finally retires, which I still don't think is in the very near future, but when he finally does, it'll be, ooh, who's gonna wanna take that job? You know, No one wants to be the guy to follow a legend. That's not entirely true. Most people don't wanna be the guy to follow a legend, but I would ask you, is the right person for that Alabama job in the most camp? or in the few camp. Table that thought for a second. I want to take you to Columbus, Ohio. Think about the head coach at Ohio State, Urban Meyer. No, 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 it's not Urban Meyer anymore. That's right, he's gone. One of the biggest legends in his own right in the history of college football. He's gone. What do you think Ryan Day's attitude was when the powers that be in Columbus came to him and said, Ryan, we know you don't have any head coaching experience, and we know Urban Meyer's a legend, but we want you to take over for him. Do you think Ryan Day, everything you know about him, everything you've seen, the way he carries himself, the way his program reflects him and carries itself, do you think that guy had a moment's hesitation? Do you think he sat there and crossed his arms and said, well, I don't, you know, it's a nice opportunity, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if I wanna follow a legend he probably would have crawled over broken glass. He probably would have fought wild animals to get that job. Guys like Ryan Day do not care about the perceived challenge that awaits them. They embrace it, which is what I wanna go back to. Who takes over for Nick Saban? I don't know. I've always been partial to the idea that Mario Cristobal is gonna be in a prime position. Jeremy Pruitt, for all we know, may be in a prime position. I don't ever go down the Dabo Swinney road. Like I just don't, it could happen. That's not at the forefront of my thinking, but whoever it is, just forget about, forget about your prediction, whoever it is. The Ryan Day attitude is by default, the attitude that the guy who takes the job at Alabama will have to have. There are two fears that a lot of people have. I've talked to people who have been involved in coaching searches before, and there is a fear of inadequacy, and there's fear of failure. I mean, that's very common. Um, I'm not saying that these elite type a ultra alpha personality head coaches, I'm not saying they don't have those. I'm not saying they don't have fears just like you and I, maybe the difference is they don't worry about it. They just jump anyway. So like Ryan day, I don't think he gave a moment's hesitation to taking that job. That's a chance of a lifetime opportunity of a lifetime. Now, if urban Meyer was exiting and there were major sanctions that were going to be imposed on the program, that's one thing. But Ohio State was a jet. I mean, it was ready to take off. It just landed really quickly to drop off some supplies. They're ready to take right back off and cruise at 45,000 feet again. That'll be Alabama if and when Nick Saban finally retires. So the right guy by default will not think like a normal person does. The right guy by default will not let fear of inadequacy or failure or not living up to expectation stand in his way. I'll tell you why, really at their core, the right guy for the job, will think he's every bit as good as Saban was. And will maybe even think, I could do it better than Saban did. Whether you agree with that or not, whether you agree that Ryan Day is better than Urban Meyer, or can do the things Urban Meyer did long-term, I can tell you he doesn't lack for confidence. And guys that hold these positions, these precious few positions, they don't lack for confidence. And the guy they find to replace Nick Saban at Alabama won't lack for confidence. But here's the beauty of it. It's the same as it is in recruiting. When you go into a kid's living room and you got a stacked roster and you're recruiting a kid, and they look at that roster, and then they look at another roster of another program that's recruiting him, and they choose the other program because, ooh, I I just I'll have a much easier path to playing time there than I will at your school. I mean, you already got three five-star players at my position. That's great. The other program's probably where you need to go because to make it at a program that already has a stacked roster, you can't be scared of competition. You have to embrace competition. Well, when you're replacing a legendary head coach, if you have in the interview process, any trepidation from the person who is sitting in the interview chair, you got to take them out to eat and then send them on their way. That's not the guy for the job. The guy for the job is one who shows the proper respect and shows the proper reverence for the incredible legendary job that the previous coach has done. But they say, I'll take this thing and I'll keep it right where we are, if not take the next step. So I think that there's this perception when Saban's done, oh, Alabama's done. They're going to fall right back to the pack. Hey, maybe they will. I mean, I'm not a fortune teller by any stretch, but I'm just telling you, there are going to be some candidates out there that are grade A. And remember, when you were hiring Saban, Alabama was a mess. You don't have to go through that. Now, you don't have to woo people. You don't have to, if you're Mal Moore, uh, the late Mal Moore, if, if you're running things at Alabama now. Greg Byrne, I think is the athletic director there. You're not gonna have to waste two seconds of your day selling someone on the concept that, hey, you could win at Alabama. Everyone knows you can win there now. It's not, it's, it's a night and day doesn't even come close to describing the difference in Alabama 2024, let's say, versus Alabama 2006, 2007. So there'll be candidates. Let's go out west. Let's wrap it up with a question about USC. I've kind of backed off talking about USC so far. Talk some about Oregon. Think I got a pretty good grasp on the Oregon program. Uh, our USC fans can tell me if you think otherwise. I don't know that anyone has a really firm grasp on the USC program. We've been doing a series, kind of an informal series, but a series here nonetheless on Late Kick Live, where we're just kind of taking a pen and just drawing some circles on the college football map. And we're circling who we think are the most important figures in the sport in 2020, not the most powerful and not just the best at any given position, but you know, we've talked about, for example, Sam Howell, quarterback at North Carolina, and if he's great this year, like the ripple effect that could have in college football. Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator at Michigan, we got several more coming up. Well, here's another one to think about Clay Helton. I think this is for very obvious reasons. A lot of people are stunned that he's still the head coach at Southern Cal. I count myself in that category. If you were to have told me at the beginning of November last year, he's going to be the head coach. He is still going to be the head coach at Southern Cal uh, come 2020. I would have been very surprised. Now, I know the reasons. I know Mike Bone came in late. I think he was hired in like November. And so, you know, there was precedent for saying, well, I'm a new athletic director. I don't want to make a move. The president, as far as I could tell, didn't really want to make a move. I know what the story is there. I'm still stunned because it didn't really immediately spike up and get better after he was retained. They lost the bowl game. They had one of the most disastrous recruiting classes that I can ever remember a major power five program having. I could, I work at 24 seven and I had to keep checking our website to make sure that wasn't a typo. But just as impressive, now there's the negative, just as impressive on the positive side is the turnaround they've made so far, no ink on paper yet, but so far, Right now, their 2021 class is ranked. I believe at last check, we had them number five in the 24/7 Sports team recruiting rankings. Got two big-time quarterbacks already signed. Not signed. Not signed. Verbally committed. They got Jake Garcia. They got Miller Moss. Both of those guys in the house there, which takes a little bit of the sting off of missing on Bryce Young last season. He goes to Alabama. But you know, this year's team. You tell me. We got a sizable portion of Southern Cal fans who watch this show. We all know about Slovis, a quarterback, pretty loaded wide receiver core, got a lot returning on defense. Returning doesn't always mean increased production, but got enough good pieces returning on defense. Offensive line's a question mark. Head coach is a question mark here. So here's what I want to know from you guys, because I think Clay Helton is by far one of the most important figures in college football in 2020. I remember Texas A&M Kevin Sumlin in the latter two to three years of his time there, when his welcome started to wear off. I was doing talk radio, and then I was doing this show independently in Georgia. And I remember we had uh, Texas a fans who would listen to the show. And so, you know, they were obviously pulling for Kevin Sumlin, but they got to a point where they were apathetic towards Kevin Sumlin, which is the biggest and most dangerous disease that could sneak into any fan base, any program, if they can have love or hate, that's okay. They're still emotionally engaged. If they're apathetic, then you're warming up in front of a half-empty house, and that's not good. That's not good at all. So that's what happened with a and with a lot of fans towards Kevin Sumlin. And here's what they did. They shifted from, okay, we we're an eight-and-four caliber program, but there are reasons to think that we could elevate to 10-plus wins. They went from that to saying, if we cannot win at least 10 games this year with the roster we have and the schedule we have and the emotional investment that we have. If we don't win at least 10 games, we would rather go five and seven, torch the barn and kill the rats and start over as opposed to going eight and four. So I ask our USC fans, because I don't know. I'm not out there. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. How many of you guys are at that point? I know at least one of you is because I read it in the email. The email stated, because I corresponded, with uh, the email-er, and I said, well, you want to win the Pac-12 this year, obviously. And I think the prediction was a best case scenario, like 11 and one, we're gonna win the Pac-12. I said, if I were to give you two options, eight and four, or five and seven, what would you take this year? They took five and seven. And their reason's pretty clear. If we can't go at least 10 and 2, 11 and 1, then I would rather have such a disastrous result that it leaves no doubt. It leaves no wiggle room. No one can justifiably look at a 5 and 7 result at USC and say, ah, we're going to keep things in place one more year. Or can they? Because now we have something pop up that we did not expect. No one could have seen this coming. I know the sentiment was, all right, well, we got Mike Bone in here and he is fresh. She's new to the block, but eventually, you know, give it one more year. Helton will be gone. That's what most people thought. That's what most people still think. Then this thing called COVID-19 pops up and there's a threat of a loss of football revenue. Some programs are immune to this. Some programs have deep enough pockets on enough donors who are willing to hold their nose and write a big buyout check that it doesn't matter. Don't know what the situation is at Southern Cal, but I know that it is the general consensus in the industry that the whole hot seat narrative, I talked about this on the show a couple of nights ago, the whole hot seat narrative for the 2020 season, I don't think there's going to be much of one because it's really, really hard to explain to a fan base that didn't even get to attend games. And it's really hard to explain when you're looking at your football revenues that are slashed that we're still going to pay... 10 million, 20 million, 30 million to buy out a staff and to hire a new staff. That's going to be a tough sell unless you got folks willing to pony up the dough. Hopefully for USC and hopefully for Clay Helton, we don't have to worry about that. Hey, you could still argue they got the best roster out there. You could still argue that. Think about that. Um, Amidst all the chaos. You could still argue that. So really good questions there. I, I do one of these shows every now and then. I just say, hey, whatever I think, we can push it down the road a little bit. So this was good stuff here tonight. Remember, subscribe if you haven't already to this YouTube channel, or if you're listening on the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. Give us that five-star review. We really appreciate it. Um, Also, we will be back here Thursday night. Remember, it's Sunday night, Thursday night, or Thursday night, Sunday night, depending on when you're listening. It is 8 Eastern, 7 Central, and it is your show. I do nothing but look at what you're talking about, and then we give you the show that you want. And I say that on purpose to wrap it up here. Because sometimes I'll look in the comment section and I'll see one of you inevitably say, all this dude talks SEC too much. Why is he talking so much Ohio State? Why, Why when he talks Big 12, why is it only OU or Texas? That's what you ask about. That's what you talk about. If you wanted to talk Nebraska, give me a question about Nebraska. It'll either be on this show or it'll be in the Late Kick Extra podcast. We take all comers. We don't care. I'll talk North Dakota State if you want me to talk North Dakota State. So it is your show. If you don't like it, don't complain about it. Change it. It's your show. You literally write this show. I just deliver it to you. So we really appreciate you watching. Have a great start to the week. We'll see you right back here. Same time Thursday night. Until then, I'm Josh Pate for Director Colin, for Aaron, for Tani. We'll see you later. God bless.